the expression from the music inspired me so much to take risks and it inspired damn near the whole rap game. Hello again, I'm Adam Unz. You may know me as the host of The Opus, and now I'm bringing my own show, The Spark Parade, to the Consequence Podcast Network. I speak with artists and creatives about the cultural artifacts that spark their personal interest and creativity, whether it's music, books, movies, video games, or any other kind of art. I've never spoke about it in this amount of detail. I'm suddenly going, oh my God, I'm blowing my own mind here, Christ. It's, it's actually a giant part of my life. By talking about the things we love, we share and discover insights into our personality and the things that drive us. It's just magic, really. I mean, frustrating and it makes some people angry, but I don't think anyone's ever done anything like it. I speak with people like Connor Robers, Phoenix's Thomas Mars, Chris Gethard, Helen Hong, Adrian Young, and more, so their sparks of inspiration can start a fire in you. I'm grateful for those who continue to put our history and who we are as a people in the forefront and make you see it. Find the Spark Parade wherever you get your podcasts. Hey pod people, Engineer Adam here, jumping in for a quick second to let you know about the brand new all-in-one platform for all of you creative podcasters out there. Anchor makes it easier than ever to make a podcast. It's free to use and has all the creation tools you need to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Plus, Anchor will get your podcast set up on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. Even better, Anchor helps you connect with sponsors, even if you're just starting out. It's the perfect choice for podcasters, so make sure to check it out. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Back to the show. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I host an interview series called Kyle Meredith With, where I talk to legendary musicians, up-and-coming artists, and whatever that is in between. I dive deep into the making of new albums, stories behind songs, but also things like how is Moby connected with the CIA and did the Decemberists really thank Robert Mueller in their liner notes and seeing which band I can get to reunite? Will it be Zeppelin, Genesis, Roxy Music, or Pavement? You've got to listen to find out. It's Kyle Meredith with from WFPK Independent Louisville and the Consequence Podcast Network. Consequence Podcast Network. my lovely pod people out there welcome back i am your host leo phillips and this is this must be the gig your little backstage pass to the world of live music i return to you this week once again it's been so many weeks and this is just getting better and better but i'm now in the studio with special guest and pod puppy pod pop pop puppy buffy which I will post a photo of, obviously, because I don't stop. Um, and who am I forgetting? Oh, Engineer Adam is here. I am second I'm best. Like dad, I'm like dad joking. I am second I'm, best to the puppy. That's true. I'm sorry to tell you. I'm looking at her sitting in the corner of the at studio. At least I don't I, have to clean up your... <laughs> <laughs> she is a little force of light in this very, very potentially dark world. And anybody who wants a private message from Buffy, just uh, let me know. Speaking of private messages also, if you want to get a shout out on the show, I've devised this perfect little way to have it done. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> uh-huh. Leave us a five-star rating. Mm -hmm. Tell us what your first concert was. Fun anecdote first if you got one. ever concert, even if it's embarrassing. Doesn't matter. We want to or know Or if it's all. cool, tell us. And we will read it on next week's episode. 
Woo-hoo! We're going to start, let's say, at least one per episode from now on. Uh, well, we have enough. We've we've had the most amazing listeners message us. And I know that like all the podcasts that we listen to and that we love, we hear them saying that and we're like, yeah, you know, how can you love a stranger? But, you know, I really appreciate you listening. And there's something amazing about how each episode brings such a different crowd of people. Exactly. And then they all stick around and they get Hopefully. to know and learn things that rate they didn't know they would like. Rate, rate, review rate us. Rate and review us. So this week, let's get to this week. We've got Bonafide Metal Hero, the man behind the kit for Grammy Award winners, Mastodon. That is right. We have an incredible chat with the one and only... Bron Daler. What an amazing guy. I've been a big Mastodon fan personally. Oh, you have? Since high school. Oh. One oh, of my yeah. best friends since childhood, JP Caterbeck. <laughs> shout shout out JP. You're, you're the first JP. one to get a shout out. Insisted I needed to listen to Leviathan, which had just been released. Mm. And I've been hooked ever since. You, you mean the pummeling record loosely based on Moby Dick? Yeah, that one. Oh. They, they really never do anything small or easy, do they? And really, last year's Emperor of Sand, the record that netted the group the Grammy for Best Metal Performance for opener Sultan's Curse. That's even more proof of that. Totally. And it was really amazing to actually just speak to someone with such a clear view of the industry as well. Yeah, and this is not just a chat about modern-day Mastodon, though. No, not at all. We actually discuss the very origins... And he goes into seeing his mom play in cover bands and bands and listening to Beethoven as a child through to playing metal in the early 90s and his status in the exclusive club, which I created, of drummer vocalists. If you have any requests as well for things for us to discuss, I think we should reach reach out. Have a dream interview you want to hear. Because we've gotten a lot of requests every week, but I'd love to hear why, to be honest. Don't just slap out a name. Slap on some info. (laughs) Slip, slap, slop. This is not a sunscreen episode. Slip, slap, slop. Did you have that at school? We did not have that Oh, that was our slogan for sunscreen It sounds like something that's much more important in South Africa. Oh, no, wait. Slip. Wait, what was slip? Slip on... A top, I think, to cover you from the African sun. Yeah. Slap on sunscreen and slop on sunscreen. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm embarrassed. In Chicago, we also had slip, slap, slop. Slip when you slip on the ice in the snow. Slap when you uh, slap your friend for being a goofball. And slop uh, um, is... is, uh, Sloppy Joes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's all America is, really. Ice, goofballs, and sloppy joes. And that's not a euphemism for your next-door neighbor. Hey, that's Chicago, baby. (laughs) Chicago. (laughs) Anyway, it's a really great chat. I know I say that every week, but it's wonderful. Each person has such beautiful, beautifully thoughtful stories. And, uh, yeah, enjoy. This is us. And uh, we're getting heavy. Enjoy. Right around the time that our last 
Mastodon album came out, the producer and friend of mine named Mike Elizondo, who did our album, The Hunter, mm. he contacted me and said, hey, man, you want to do this thing? It's for Batman graphic novel. And there's, there's all these different Batmans. And, and you would pick one of the Batmans and write about him. Oh, wow. And we would supply, you know, we'd go back and forth with music beds and see what you liked and mm. see what you didn't like. So at, at that moment in time, I said, no way, I don't want to do it because I'm too busy. We just are, I'm doing tons of press for the new record and we're about to go on tour and getting ready for that and mm. all that stuff. So I didn't really think about it for a while. And then about three or four months later, I figured that opportunity had, had flown away. And but he contacted me again and said, "Hey, is there any chance that you would be interested in doing this? Uh, it's it's still here." And I said, um, "Okay, I got some time. <laughs> yeah. I got some time. I can I can delegate um, some mental capacity to that and try to be creative with it. See if there's anything there. See if I can hear anything. You know." And I started reading up on the different characters and. I said, you know, there was this Red Death character that seemed kind of interesting. And I, and I came up with a, I had a chorus that fit one of the parts that they had sent me. Mm. So I kind of went from there. I said, hey, I think I got something. All right, let me, <laughs> let me sit down and actually start to uh, chip away at this small piece of granite. Mm. And uh, so I came up with some, some lyrics and some vocal melodies. And, uh, and, you know, we released it. I think it came out pretty cool. But. I, I think it's a little misleading calling it like my debut into the solo, solo foray. Yes. Uh, foray. Yeah, it's a little. It's probably something I wouldn't mind doing. I have a lot of ideas, you know, for for music that that might be wouldn't really fit with Mastodon too well, you know. But mm. I don't think it would necessarily sound like this. You know, it wouldn't. I don't think it would be a heavy thing if if I were to do something. It'd be. Maybe a little, a little stranger. Yeah. So I don't think I don't know that I would come out and label this as being like this is this is me 100. percent This is all me. I feel like that's that's not it's not really fully represented. It doesn't fully represent what I would consider to be like a a solo me 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 thing. Yeah. No. That I mean that totally makes sense. I think it's just an easier way to say that it's the project that you did you know, separate to the band, perhaps. But yeah. it is really it is really exciting, I think, to also just have an idea about the music that wouldn't necessarily fit with the style of Mastodon. And I know, like, especially... Yeah. I know Brent gave an interview, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, I remember reading, and he said that, like, the band would love to do something like a country album. He would like to do a country album and have Mastodon be the vehicle for that. Oh, so right, that, okay. I, so I, I don't know, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't really have any desire to, to do a country album, personally. Okay. It's not my favorite kind of music. I do like some of the old, you know, the old old style of country. And, mm. you know, I, it'd be something that I would consider, possibly, I'd have to hear, like, the music first. And if I dug it, you know, if I felt, like, really passionate about it. But what really got me excited about being in Mastodon was the mixture of styles and the, the different uh, that, that lended itself to this heavy thing that we were doing. It was really intense and had a lot of crazy, uh, I could go off on my drums and really explore my, my style of drumming that I like to play, you know, mm. and it's really intense and it, ha- it can have its, its softer moments, but I like the intensity of, of that heavy music is able to achieve. I like coming off stage drenched in sweat, and I like <laughs> that whole aspect of it. You know, it's like yes. I, I achieve like this runner's high when I'm playing, which is really cool. 
I like the kind of the four corners that we sort of met on with like a mixture of like, uh, there's a little bit of Iron Maiden in there, there's a little bit of Thin Lizzy, there's a little bit of Neurosis, some Melvins, and then our own flavors, which kind of came from some of the country style guitar playing that Brent does so well. It's like this hybrid picking, this affectionately called chicken picking, um, <laughs> that sort of come from the roots of, yeah. country, of country guitar playing, but then he, he kind of put them in this minor key and and with me playing drums along to it, just it took on this uh, this life of its own, and I think it's a really unique thing. But to sort of say, okay, we're going to do this country thing, and he wants to wear cowboy hats and <laughs> outfits and go out there. Yeah, it's all it's all well and good, you know. But I don't I don't know that that's a mastodon thing. But you know, if if there was some songs that got presented and they mm. were sounded and they were country, and and I was like, man, I really love these, then then I would be all in, you know, but I haven't really heard anything, so... Um, yeah, it's, I suppose it's interesting. To say. <laughs> yeah, are there any other genres really that you'd like to infuse then into your music? Because I love that you said that that visceral reaction is kind of tactile for you. That you can feel how your skin is drenched in sweat after playing a show, and how that reaction is kind of something that you really look forward to. Are there any other genres that you think would work for you? going forward like anything that you've been interested in other than what you guys have been doing for for a long time you know i put out a record with a friend of mine last year this group i had mm. uh, called arcadia arcadia yes. that's uh, it's all it's all electronic except for the drums and i think that the drums i think it's very similar drum wise to Mastodon, except for maybe it's a little more um, maybe a little more straightforward as far as like it's kind of dancey, you know. Yes. Uh, it supplies a little more of a solid beat, although it's a drenched in sweat situation when I get done playing, going through that set. You know, it's uh, hard and sometimes quite uh, up tempo, you know, so it's in the same sort of realm, but I guess I wouldn't say, okay, Mastodon, I want us to make an, a, a fully electronic album, you mm-hmm. know. I'd say, I'll, I'll save that for this, you know. But but I wouldn't, you know, rule it out of the question if it was something that naturally happened. But I, w- I wouldn't want to take the the crazy guitar playing away from the guitar players in my my band, you know, because I know that that's what they live for is to do their thing, you know, crazy guitar solos and and big big riffs and you know that's what we're a riff rock band and that's what that's what people look forward to from us and that's what we look forward to from ourselves. Uh, so I wouldn't want to take that away from those guys and be like, hey, we're just going to be a keyboard band for, yeah. for one album. You know? Yeah, excuse uh, me. Can everybody put their guitars away, please, and press some buttons? Yeah, and be like, I would expect <laughs> some, uh, I would expect a little kickback from that. Like, yeah. Uh, or some, you know. I, it's like, interesting. No. <laughs> Get out of here. No. Get out of my house. We've had we've had moments of, of keyboard electronic uh, moments that maybe you know the guitars are using some kind of pedals it sounds like it's keyboards and stuff and, and we've had keyboards in some of our songs you know so i don't mind like injecting s- small bits of other genres to that are exciting twists and turns that can happen within a song you know like i'd say there's a uh, a very bluegrass guitar lick that happens in the song megalodon off of one of our uh, our mm-hmm. album uh, leviathan Mm. Um, and it kind of comes out of nowhere and is exciting because that's the last thing you would expect to hear right there, you know, things like that. Also, there's a song called, uh, the last Baron and 
that's off of an album called Crack the Sky that towards the end of the song, it's like a 14 minute long song, but towards the end of the song, it, just bu- it busts into this straight up funk part, you mm-hmm. know, and you kind of never see those things coming. And that's what I kind of dig. If you're going to like uh, jump genres, I, it's, it's more interesting to me that it's in the middle of like a heavy song. And then all of a sudden, it, you know, the, the listener is like, completely uh transported to a different genre of music just for a few seconds like yeah. whoa what happened yeah you know, I, I mean that. music music is completely world building isn't it so you're creating this world for the person you know the listener to be a part of and if you can take them on that journey that it's a little unexpected i think that people really appreciate that and then can look forward to knowing that they have no idea what you might do because I think yeah. staying in in one lane and static in that aspect and that process of world building can be really difficult because then people just expect to to hear the same chords and hear the same vocal ranges and so I think that yeah, it's yeah, uh, yeah. it's exciting to keep you keep your fans and listeners on their toes but for me what's I think what I'm wondering now is Tell me a little bit about your background. Like, what kind of genres and things did you learn and play when you were growing up? Like, what was the music that was playing in your house? My mom was in a rock band when I was a kid. So ah. she was the singer. And my my mom's boyfriend that lived with us for many years was the, was the drummer. Oh, and wow. So they basically, they were, my mom was like, you know, and her, she was probably in like 19 when she had me. So, um Oh wow, very young. She she's pretty young. Yeah. And then she had my sister when she was twenty, so it was just two of us. They were a cover band, so they were doing everything that was popular at that time, but also they were doing the stuff that they liked. So yeah. it was everything from you know, Boston, Journey, Cheap Trick, David <laughs> Bowie, Peter Gabriel, the Genesis old Genesis stuff. Uh they would do some yes covers. They did just every all the classic rock stuff you can think of, and then a, a, a dash of of the new wave stuff that was happening in the early '80s. You know, and even you yes. know, they did like Go Go's and oh, um, Pat Benatar, and mm. you name it. They had to play for when when they would play. It was like a four hour ordeal, so mm. they had a ton of songs. They'd play Rush covers, Judas Priest, Black Sabbath, just name a few. And I think I was really attracted to the the Black Sabbath. Judas Priest stuff, you know, I just, I, I, that's what I was getting into, you know, when I was fairly young. I, th- I think before that, the first song I can remember that I really liked that I wanted to hear over and over again was, is it called Come Together by the Beatles? Mm-hmm. So I just thought there was some interesting sounds happening there. Uh, and I, I distinctly remember wanting, to, wanting my dad to like play that over and over again. Also, I was really into Beethoven when I was a little kid. I was really like infatuated with Beethoven. Oh wow! My dad used to put like the Ninth and the Fifth Symphonies on my headphones for me when I was like, a baby. <laughs> and then when I turned about three or four, and I learned how to say Beethoven, I basically wanted everything <laughs> to be Beethoven. Beethoven. <laughs> we would go to like uh, get some food somewhere or go get like ice cream and I would order a Beethoven Sunday <laughs> and thank God oh, I would say, I we don't that. have that we don't have that you know and my dad would be like just bring him a Sunday and tell him it's a Beethoven Sunday <laughs> otherwise he's gonna lose it where uh, do you live Beethoven what is your name Beethoven what are you eating Beethoven Beethoven <laughs> everything oh uh, so really yeah, into Beethoven and precious. my dad was a really would put headphones on me 
when I was a little, little sponge and, and play like Mahavishnu Orchestra and, uh, and, and Beethoven and, and things like that. So yeah, that's, that's kind of so what was going on. And then my grandmother played bass and she played in, they did like jazz standards, you know. So when we were at my grandmother's house, she was listening to uh, Thelonious Monk and John Coltrane and uh, wow. Billy Holiday, like Take the A Train and stuff like that. So I was exposed stuff. to a lot of that, the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And my dad was listening to, had a steady diet of like Elvis Costello and Miles Davis and all that kind of stuff. So I got, I was really, really fortunate enough to have a whole bunch of people in my family that were really, really into cool music. And, you know, my dad was really into Frank Zappa and, and all that kind of the stranger side of, of things mm. at the time, you know, six, 60s, 70s, like uh, Captain Beefheart. And, and then my grandpa, my grandpa Dave was a guitar player and he played oh, in wow. a band with my uncle. My uncle was a drummer. And since I was so young or my mom was so young, uh, we were at, at our grandparents quite a bit. So yes. I knew that there was drums over there and I was really just sort of drawn to them. I think it's probably pretty common for little kids to be drawn to the drums because it's just sort of easier than trying to articulate your fingers to play like a guitar or something. But there was mm-hmm. all the instruments were up in the attic and the drum kit was small enough to where I could reach the pedal and my uncle would just come up there and put headphones on me and put a record on and he'd mm-hmm. just play play along, you know, to whatever he would put on. He'd usually put on like uh, Montrose or mm-hmm. Rainbow or Nazareth or uh, Deep Purple's Machine Head was like usually right back there and I'd put that on and just start to try to mess around with that when I was probably around four, three or four years old. Wow. You mentioned Captain Beefheart. That's that just that alone has so many elements of like there's just free jazz and rock and there's kind of this like weird avant-garde composition and so just having just in in some of those layers within some of the bands that you mentioned, there's so much going on. And having that musical like little orbit around you. That's really interesting though. It feels like every single person, is there anyone in your family that doesn't play an instrument? It's mostly on my mother's side that, that there's all the musicians, but my dad was just really, really into music, you know? So, you know, it's a big, lots of music. So they were definitely, it was really a, a question of more question of what instrument yeah. are you going to play? Not like, are you going to play music? Was your mom's band the first concert that you ever saw? Or did you see, uh, did your dad take no, you to another mom's, concert? My mom's concert for sure. Like we would go to the bar with her and sleep underneath the, uh, like the pinball machine, you know? Oh, wow. Okay. There's some video of, uh, of one of her shows when I guess I'm maybe five and my sister's four. And we're just, we're just right in the front, just jumping up and down. That's our mom up there, you know. So it's like, wow. Just, uh, but that's pretty yeah. normal. It's pretty normal so- <laughs> for her to be on stage and singing, and you know, uh, and we always go in the basement and uh, and watch her, and you know, give her our request. Can you remember a song that you loved? Uh, loved it when she covered it. I remember requesting. Uh, it was a police song, and it was a a do 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 mm. a da da oh. da. Is all I have to say. To, but we changed it to a goo goo goo, a ga ga ga, and made it like a baby song. Uh, it's weird, <laughs> but we were we were closer to babies than we were to adults, so we it, it made sense of it. The goo goo goo, ga ga ga. Yeah, thing but made, it's made a lot of sense. Yeah. To it. So uh, 
I like how like your whole world changed according to like the music that you loved, like Beethoven Sundays and uh, Goo Goo yeah. Police songs and things like that. I think that it's 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 really important, but it is expanding, right? Like for a kid to be around that, it's obviously rare, and you hear those stories, and it's kind of wonderful to hear how that world is so incredible for a young child and i can imagine for your mom as well to have her kids there watching her i'm not sure if you have kids now but you know that feeling of having that family support there is just also quite rare you know yeah, That's yeah, a, yeah. it's a really I'm, beautiful I feel thing i'm lucky to have uh, yeah. you know grown up in this super musical family and everybody was more than supportive of mm. i think they you know i was sort of floundering around for a little bit but um i was always playing music and but yeah, I was playing in some pretty weird, heavy bands, so it was kind of like, okay, we'll see what happens, you know. But uh, we'll see where he goes with this. Yeah, wasn't your first band? Was that one called? Was that Evisceration, or did, were you in uh, you know, a band before that? I was in a that? band called Evisceration, but I was just sort of passing the time with that. You know, I I didn't really feel. I just wanted to be in a band, you know, and 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 that was what a couple of friends of mine wanted to do. They wanted to play like kind of straight up death metal you know but i i really didn't i really didn't feel totally at mm. home doing that you know i felt like I, I i needed something more and then i met uh the guitar this guitar player named eric burke and he was just a guitar wizard and really had a super unique style and it, i just was really really attracted to that you know and I, I felt like his his style was so bizarre and mm. and quirky and just crazy so i just really fell in love with that and I've been lucky enough over the years to meet and play with some really uh, unique players that are uber talented and, and have just blown me away with their talent and their imagination. And it's something you, you, you're able to fall in love with. You Absolutely. Know? A lot of people don't meet, meet that person, you know, like they don't meet the person yeah. that they want to be with for the rest of their lives. They also don't meet the person that's their musical soulmate. And I've had a few of them. So I think that I'm really, really lucky in that in that regard you know so where it's like man uh, where 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 this this yeah. person is uh, where does this this well of imagination and, and beauty and their playing where does it where does it come from you know so it's it's really uh it's fun to link up with someone like that yeah. just, just go as deep as you can musically it's really an, an amazing treat Yeah, I mean, you guys just toured with both Primus and Dinosaur Jr. Well, we got the Dinosaur Juniors coming up. So oh, that, that yet, that's so. still coming up. So, I mean, those yeah. bands, both just just naming those bands. I mean, I spoke to Les about, like, his entire discography, and he's just the most wonderful human being. And how you speak about, like, the operative word being imagination and same with Dinosaur Jr. as well. But they're yeah. also bands that kind of never stop playing on the road. I also think that that, do, do, well, maybe, I don't know. Do you think that that's also how you've been able to meet a lot of people is that, you know, with your band, you've also toured so much and quite relentlessly over the years. And does that kind of open you up to meeting new people or is it, does it just kind of feed that hunger for learning and experiencing more within your music? Um, yeah, I say, uh, you know, we've met, been privileged enough to meet lots of people, but you don't really, it's hard to get together and be able to like jam with those people, you know? Right. So I'd say that it's definitely 
when you get to tour with a band like Primus and watch them do their thing every night, it's 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 just more inspiration to add to the you know right. that that they will feel like the next the next thing that we do it'll work its way in there somewhere you know what I mean so um, that's you always kind of borrow things especially from people like like Les and and you, you learn things from your experiences on the road and you know we've like you said just been touring pretty much nonstop for almost twenty years you know every time we're on tour and we're on tour with some bands that are uber creative and have a mm. have some kind of some kind of uh, musical genius in the band it's hard not to have that not to want to capture to that focus somehow. on it yeah i mean it's, yeah, you know. it's incredible again it's a lot of people um, don't focus on detail but as you are a drummer and a singer you know and there aren't many of you out there i would imagine it's also physically demanding to be playing the drums but not i'm sure you don't find it a demand or a challenge because you enjoy it so much but it is difficult to keep you know your tone while your body is flailing around as much as that as much as the music requires yeah so also being inspired by people who you know have certain technical skills is also really interesting because i feel like you people are probably looking at you going what the hell how the hell does he do that you know like i feel <laughs> like you have you've got something it's 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 so interesting. Did you have to train yourself to be able to do both of them simultaneously? Well, you know, it's sort of, I don't want to say forced, but mm. <laughs> like the guys in the band were like, like any lyrics that I would write, I would come up with ideas. You know, we, we always welcome all ideas into our band because it takes all of us to make our band mm-hmm. do its thing. And it's more interesting when everybody collaborates together and, you know, all that. But um I, you know, I would go in the vocal booth and sing whatever ideas I had. But in the past, our music was a little too, was too heavy for my voice. And I don't, you know, I, it just didn't work at all, you know. But by the time we hit Crack the Sky, uh, things had sort of softened a bit, you know. And, and we just started experimenting a little more with some more mellow tones. And, and we just tried to gear it more towards a, a prog rocky or sound and and so then my voice did start to fit you know and i go in there and and sing my little vocal patterns and there was just this one thing for the song oblivion that's the first song of crack the sky i sang the the verses for it and everyone really liked how it sounded and we tried to get close to it with troy and we got pretty close to it you know and it sounded pretty similar and uh I think it was Brent that was just like, man, I don't know. There's just something about the timber, the way that Braun's singing it, that just, I don't, you know, that he, he just didn't want to let go of it, you know. I said, well, let me go see if I can even do it, you know, because it's really difficult. Like, there's a reason why there's not a lot of singing drummers, because it's really hard. And, <laughs> yeah. and, nine, and nine times out of ten, it doesn't, just doesn't really sound good, you know what I mean? It's from, and it's hard to get, it's hard for your sound guy to really get on top of it, you know, because there's a lot of cymbal noise and it's a pain in the ass really all the way around for everyone involved. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I started doing it and, you know, sort sort of half reluctantly, but, um, I didn't mind the way it sounded, you know, I didn't like completely cringe when I heard the sound of my own voice, which I guess is a good sign, but it's gotten a lot easier over, over time. And, mm. and right now I feel the most comfortable with it, but I've been doing it for quite a while. And it's taken me a while to get comfy cozy with it. And even now, I'm still not, 
100% there. There's a lot of times where, because of the fact that I'm playing, every, everything's going, sometimes I, sometimes it's hard for me to, like, distinguish the note because a lot of times, you know, sometimes the, uh, the, the, the guitar notes are, like, so low and guttural that it, it's hard to pick the note out. So I'm like, am I singing on key? I can't even <laughs> tell. You know, so I'm very self-conscious about it and, you know, I've always, I've always kind of been good at being like a self-doubter and being self-conscious. I think most artists are, you know, they're kind of yeah, most waiting. Creators. They're waiting for wait. They're waiting, especially when you've achieved like a, some yeah. little bit of success or anything. You're waiting for someone to come take it all away because you're the like, penny to drop. Yeah, they're gonna course. come and find. They they know. They're just. I don't know what they're waiting for. When they're gonna come take it all away. Yeah, I think it's good to have, listen, you need to be, uh, you have to have a little bit of humility about your work. As any creative, the the process and or the end result could be your focus. And it's it's always important, I think, to stay on your feet and make sure that, like, you are doing the best job you can for yourself. And, and you know, irrespective yeah, of yeah. feeling, I think it's quite, like... In a weird, dark way, I think it's quite good that you're not totally comfortable because I think if you were, you'd probably be completely bored at the end of your tether, wanting to probably pick up another instrument. So the fact that you're still really harnessing um, your skills, which the the audience can't see, you know, the audience probably don't even pick up on a lot of things. So especially in a live yeah, in a live arena. <laughs> I mean, they're also I'm just, just passionate. <laughs> I know. I, I, I'm a fan too. I go to watch bands play, you know, and I get yeah. and they get done, and they're like, "Oh, I messed this up and I messed that up." And, and you're like, I'm what like, "What the fuck?" Just, yeah. What are you talking it. about? That was like it was incredible, and I had such an amazing experience. How dare you speak poorly of uh, of this, this How moment dare I had? You? Yeah. But yeah. And so I, I do the same thing, you know. I'm like, I do the same thing. I'm super critical. Everybody. I, no, it is the same way. And if they say if they say that they're, you know, one hundred percent comfortable with their yeah. their skill level and 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 the way that things turned out on their album, one hundred percent is totally great. Everything they're they're lying through bullshitting, their yeah, <laughs> completely bullshitting, and, yeah. Which is look, I think that that's why I think it's refreshing to hear you speak like this, and I think that it's also great in that you mentioned that it takes. You have there's so many moving parts in the band, and it takes everybody to create that sense of unity. But it's also fascinating that everybody in your band have such diverse strengths, and in a sense can lead the band at different moments. You know, so that's also really interesting. How you think? I suppose it differs from being in a band where there's one authoritative voice, there's one person leading the way. You've got everybody working towards one goal. I'm sure that that feels quite you know, positive for you as well to be part of that kind of musical group as opposed to just basically being a yes man and or dictating, you know? Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely like an exercise in human psychology as well. You know, oh, the gosh, whole, yeah. The whole thing. <laughs> like the, the, the way the four of us are able to balance it and not really let male ego get in the way, which is the male ego is, is awful and, and cause for so much... Uh, horribleness throughout the world. It uh, so the way that we're able to govern each other and and remain friends and uh, and love and respect each other for our talents and for our musical offerings to the group and and desire those offerings instead of you know the I want to take over and you know it needs to be my way or I don't, you know 
because I mean we're all we're all control freaks to a certain degree, and we're all you know. But we you have to let things go, you know, and and you have to let things go for the hope that that uh, the thing that's going to be shown to you by your friend, you, you trust that that something amazing is coming your mm. way. You know what I mean? Or of course, if you're. Or you have to be able to say to yourself, maybe I'm not hearing it the way that this that he's he's, he's passionate intended, about it. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm we're gonna let this thing breathe. But I tell you what, if I'm not feeling it in a few weeks, I'm gonna put the kibosh on it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. No, but you know, and and then you have to be able to let go of of riffs and parts that you're married to. Mm. You know what I mean? You say oh, you've been carrying this riff around for a while, and you're frightened to show it to the class because for fear of rejection but uh and then when that fear comes true and it do, it does get rejected you have to be able to turn around and let it be gone in the gone with the wind yeah. you know so there's all that kind of fun uh psychology stuff that you can examine within the in the group dynamic and that four-way relationship you know it's communication and trust uh, yeah trust and, yeah. and are we being are we not speaking up enough are we not communicating enough and, mm. you know just all the different ways that uh that relationships work and, yeah it's um, interesting yeah. they say like kill your darlings they say that like in uh writing and editing they say like you can't because sometimes words just like lyrics just like riffs they stick because you're passionate about something that moves you in a way that is you know, it's innate. You can't, you can't really explain it or verbalize it. So when you're bringing that into like a creative group, I find it just fascinating. And then people also don't realize you're adding on the stress and pressure of touring and how things can go wrong when that happens and right, of course. Yeah. So it's really, it's really amazing that you have such a positive and good relationship with each other. How do you really then tackle because I know you, you've been touring for so long now, but you also change as a human being. So how have you been able to make sure that you are, you know, getting your ideas out there whilst maybe being completely sleep deprived and or very pain, you know, very sore from playing um, and exhausted? So how do you like navigate that balance? Well, I feel like you need to save like we don't get in a room and write together unless we're have had some downtime okay. and are sort of rejuvenated as, as people like, you know, we're back to a full tank, you know, and we can concentrate on writing, you know, riffs come whenever they want, you know, which is great. And ideas come whenever they want. So write them down and, or play them and put them to the side and we'll deal with them when we're level-headed, you know, right. because tour for us, tour is no place to sit and start writing because you're just, you're just spent just mm. every day, pretty much, you know, it's maybe the first week you're feeling good and you're feeling good, you know, it's fine, but you're not really, in a, for us anyways, we're not, we're not in a place where we can sit and deal with each other in that capacity. Mm. Like, or even like have the capacity go, in the first place. Like you need that yeah, space to fill it. Yeah. You know, yeah, you you don't feel good, you know. You don't feel like you don't feel good enough to sit in in a room and write, especially when you have the show. When you have to play a show later, you know, you kind of really want to save up any energy that you have for that show. That's what you're concentrated on is 
the show later on. Yeah. Is there like a favorite, not favorite, but maybe thinking now your most memorable and craziest live show that you've played, whether it's with this band or your other projects? There's been so many incredible shows, you know, otherwise probably wouldn't still be out there. <laughs> yeah, That's of course. What, I mean, it's what keeps us away from our our creature comforts at home, you know, our families and, mm. and, uh, and, you know, so almost every show that we have is, is pretty wonderful. You know, even if there's only a couple people there, it doesn't really matter. You know, um, sometimes the best performances of a song could just be in the practice space, you mm. know, where you got the, the, where you got the greatest feeling from that song because it was brand new. And it was the first time that that, that it came to fruition, you know, you 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 ex- you experienced something new and exciting, and you knew we knew that we were kind of moving the needle a little bit for ourselves, you know, and uh, and having that awesome experience in the room just with the four of us, never to be had again, you know. Mm-hmm. I could never quite reach that plateau again of, as far as like the performance of that particular, even that just moment. a part. You yeah, know, like one one riff that made it into a song for a blip had such a such a wonderful time with it when it was first conceived that I'll never never feel that again for that riff, you know. But I know that it, I know that it was there at one point, so that's why we pursue it. But as far as like shows are concerned, I say one that sticks out will be the first time we ever opened for Metallica was in Portugal. Oh, wow. And I just was kind of concerned, like, not concerned, but thinking, I wonder how the crowd is going to react to us because they're here to see Metallica. But, man, we went out and hit our first note, and they just jumped up and down for the entire sh- show from start to finish. And and we were like, wow. <laughs> we could do really, this. Really, <laughs> hey, look at that. They like it. They really like us. They like us. But, Where was it? Yeah. Was it in Lisbon, in Portugal? Or... Yeah, it was in Lisbon. It was oh, in Lisbon. wonderful. And it was in uh, 2006 or seven, mm. somewhere in there. Mm. Uh, I oh, just, that's yeah, mad. I just, yeah, I'm out. Yeah, I think I love those I love those moments and I like that you acknowledged also that it could potentially be even when you're in a practice space and how those moments are so fleeting that you have to kind of hold on to them. Um but I suppose that happens like do you even have a favorite live uh show or live band that you love watching or is it just do do you get to watch a lot of shows and stuff when you're on tour? Well, yeah, I would say we were going on before Primus this last couple months mm. and so i watched primus every single night you know Man, and i would go that's out amazing go out to the lawn area and just chill and watch primus and it was really awesome mm. but i'd say probably one of the most moving experiences i've had watching a band play would be neurosis when i was uh probably 22 or 23 i was in this band called today's the day and we did a european tour with neurosis we did a bunch of U.S. touring with them as well, but uh, in Europe, it's, they just really started to um, get to me. You know, I would go out and watch them play every night, and I don't know. It was just another level of emotion was being achieved. You know, it, just, and it sort of reminded me of, of some classical music. You know, it reminded me of the 
the power of like a piece of music like Mozart's Requiem or Handel's Messiah, something like that. Um, we're just, I don't know. It, it, it went to this, it went to this other place, you know, emotionally that, that, uh, few pieces of music have been able to get to for, for me personally, you know? Yeah. Jason's an amazing uh, drummer as well from, uh, from oh, yeah, Rose, yeah. So, oh my gosh, uh, like just, but just the way that yeah. their unit works together to create this movement, you know, and you're just like, I don't know, for me, it's just, it was everything, you know, it's like, uh, I guess my religion would be music, you know? Yeah, where it's completely moving. And I like that you linked it also to classical because there is that movement and fluidity in music that just uh, can hit in a spot that you can't, uh, you can't really describe. So that really, that really makes so much sense. Yeah, like the Moonlight Sonata or something like that. And, oh, and the way that the yeah. classical music just, I don't know, it's, it's before they found that formula for pop music, you know, and I don't, I don't know, there's just something about it that's a little more natural and, and without, without the, the taming of, of formula, you know, I'm sure that they did have their own formula that certain players sort of stuck to that, but, but I don't think it was necessarily so monetarily based, you know, right. Well, I mean, where it was like yeah. a lot of people found out, oh, we can make we can make money doing this. Now, I know a lot of <laughs> pieces were commissioned for the Catholic Church and things like that. Mm. And obviously, Handel's Messiah, something I cited, was mm. was uh, was commissioned. But uh, I think that they were maybe let to do their own thing, so to speak, and people maybe had a little bit of a longer attention span. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, look at what their inspiration was. I mean, you mentioned, uh, Be you know, Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata. That was, I mean, a lot of people believed and, you know, a lot of people said, obviously, the the movement reminded him of Moonlight on the Waves, which, like, yeah. again, is something incredibly uh, almost bohemian now. If you had to sing about that, uh, the nature and the earth moving you, it's uh, it's of a different era that you take. Uh, simple living pleasures of just being human and breathing on the earth is something that's inspiration musically, you know? So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's I amazing. Like it. I like it too. I think it's, uh, I think it's really moving. Were there any like drummer singers that have inspired you? Cause seen as though you didn't plan to do it and it wasn't something premeditated at all over the years has, have you kind of wanted to find I don't want to say like more people like you, but have you noticed that uh, the drummers like doing? Group? Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there basically? I'm asking: Is there a drummer and singer support group, and should you start right, one? Yeah. Um, no, but is there <laughs> anybody? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, there's a church. I'm sure there's a church basement somewhere. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, of course, Phil Collins is the the, the beacon of of the unicorns that are singing drummers. And, uh, so he's the guy, you know, he, and he's been a huge influence on my drumming as well, because I'm such a huge fan of his drumming with Genesis. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite albums is Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. And I think, uh, some of the pinnacle drum work that he's done in his whole career, but I think that I like his pop stuff too. I think that the, he is one of the unique drummers that was able to, play pop music and sort of disguise these really tough, uh, intricate drum patterns within where the layman hears a straight 
4-4 dance beat. Uh, but if you're paying attention and you know what's happening, it's pretty difficult what's what's being played, you know. So it's it's pretty tricky. Him and uh, Stuart Copeland have both, like, done an amazing job doing that to where it's very accessible. But mm. underneath, there's all this, like, fancy hi-hat work going on or these weird backbeats that are, that you know, it's, it's it's pretty cool what he was able to do with the the more accessible Genesis stuff. I know I love the lamb lies down on Broadway. That's such a good. Yeah, I remember yeah. the first time I heard Definitely. in the cage. I was like, "What the fuck? This song is so long and amazing." Oh, it's like, the, yeah, in the cage is my favorite song. Yeah, record, mine too. But, mine too. I think it's because it shocks but, you. It like shocks you in the middle. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, but the Lamia is, is a close second uh, mm. on the second disc, and that that one just. The live version just gives me chills every time. But as far as he wasn't doing too much singing back then, he was doing some backups. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's the first person I think I saw really singing, except for my my mom's boyfriend mm -hmm. sang. He sang a bit part on um, they covered on the air from Peter Gabriel, uh, and he Peter did the Gabriel. middle. There's like a middle. There's like a middle section that, mm. that he sang, and I was like, "Oh, you can sing and play the drums. That's crazy. It doesn't <laughs> seem like you should be able to do that." Yeah, no, it doesn't though. It kind of defies all because visually, it, visually also, it, it, it's because the position of the drummer is usually at the back of the stage as well, or at least in the middle between yeah. the band members. Your brain and your mind, kind of from all the years of seeing that pop setup. Your brain's like, what the, what yeah. is happening? And then also yeah, because I you've... I don't like... I, what's happening, I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's I, also I hear, like... I hear vocals. Is... <laughs> I hear Where vocals the fuck are I... they coming from? Yeah. <laughs> and then you look back, you see the, the drummer singing. Oh, God. <laughs> that goddamn can, drummer. Can we, go? <laughs> can we go now? I just want to leave. <laughs> This is bullshit. But also, like, I, I'm always concerned. Everybody's always concerned about, like, the arms and, like, getting in the way. But the truth is I'm always concerned about the neck. Like, your neck, you know, because you're straining to keep also your face out of your own way. And in a right. good vocal, like, position to have your vocal range and your vocal cords, you know, all lifted and your breathing good. So I always wonder yeah. about the neck. Other people focus on other things. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about your neck. Is it? Is what I'm okay. saying? <laughs> no, my neck. It's my neck's fine. I, uh, I haven't had any issues. What hurts the most? I, uh, what What part of what your body? <laughs> yeah. What's What's in pain? Yeah. Uh, what's in pain the most? Um, I don't know. When fatigue sets in, it's probably probably arms. You know, are the most like yeah that that, that feel some kind of pain, but. Really, um, at this point, I'm pretty well seasoned, and I don't really feel any pain <laughs> yes. from from the from the show. Yeah, I feel exhausted mm. when we're doing because we really don't talk to the audience. Really, you know, mm. like a couple times a, a couple times a set, you know, we might say, "Hey, how's it going?" Uh, this, and then right into the next song. Mm. Uh, so we sort of Ramones it all the way through, you know, because people got things to do, and <laughs> we just want to play as many as much music as we can. So we just all the way through, it's like, you know, 20-something songs in an hour and a half. And, yeah. Um, and so it's a lot, you know. It's like a, mm. it's really a mad dash. You know, I had a doctor come out and hook up this thing to my arm to do, like, a calorie count. And oh, my see, gosh. like, what I, was, what I was doing, what, how, how, many, how many calories 
calories I was burning in an mm-hmm. hour and tw- 20 minute set. And it was somewhere in the eight to 900 calories. And oh my God. basically said it was like a, like a sprint from mm-hmm. start to finish uh, about eight miles. Oh um, and just, just nonstop, which it feels like that, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, man, I can't really catch my breath, which I kind of like, you know, yeah, because it, it's it's exactly how you were describing that feeling in the beginning of being just drenched in sweat. It's you, your body is probably so used to that feeling now that again, it's like a it's like an addiction, you know, in in a good way. That your your body is yeah. kind of set to that level of serotonin being spiked in two seconds, you know, from the minute you start. But it's amazing. You also, I know, I know that like you recorded, have you recorded any other live album? Because I know that you recorded a live album here. I'm in Chicago now. I live here now. And I know that you recorded one at the Aragon, which I've become quite familiar with in the last year and a half. But what was it about that space? Because you are obviously concerned and, and you pay attention to, you know, what your crowd needs, what your band needs, what you need. But what was it about that space that made you decide to, to record the live album there? Well, uh, I, basically, you know, before the tour started, we looked at the whole tour and we said, you mm-hmm. know, the Chicago show is probably going to be one of the biggest shows of the tour. We think it was already sold out. And and it's a beautiful building, you know, the, the space itself. So mm. all those things taken into account, we sort of put all our, a lot of bands don't do this with live stuff. They don't put all their eggs in the, the one basket there, but we did it. Um, and we spent some money and had some uh, people that, you know, came out and filmed the whole thing and, mm-hmm. and then recorded it. And uh, yeah, that was, that was all that really went into that. We just knew that, that we, we had played there with Slayer Mm. And just remark, re- remarked, uh, it's one of those venues uh, in the States that was maybe it was popular, uh, you know, in the 20s or so. And a lot of those venues went up the Fox theaters of the of the country. And that that was sort of one of those that has the like the Arabian Nights uh, theme. <laughs> yeah, like it's almost uh, like throughout. medieval times slash um, like a trance party, like an outdoor trance party. It's like a very strange, very strange venue. But well, it is it was very, that was very popular. It was very popular in the 20s to have that sort of motif on the um, ceiling in a lot of the big in the big movie houses. So, like, there's one here in Atlanta called the Fox Theater, and it's, like, really, really beautifully ornate, and it's been all redone, refurbished. There's one in uh, Oakland, California, the, another Fox Theater that, that's, you know, so they they have, like, an Arabian theme or an Egyptian theme, or they have a couple different themes uh, going throughout. There's lots of ornate ornate uh, molding work throughout the, the, the venue and lots of, uh, uh, you know, beautiful murals that are painted everywhere. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of what, that's why we picked it. That's awesome. I really, I love that. And also knowing that like you have such a big fan following as well. So knowing that that could also feed into your performance. I think that that's, uh, that that's a smart move as well to see, to also make sure that you feel just as comfy. Yeah. It's always a little nerve wracking doing it live. Gosh, I'm sure. It, it, it just adds like, you know, <laughs> like, man, I don't want to. I don't want to be nervous. I don't want to feel nervous when I go out there. But if it's like there's no, uh, if there's no net, so to speak, like okay, you have this one chance to make, and it's got to be great. You know, I'm like, man, I don't like that. I don't, yeah, really, I, told I don't you. really love that. I wish, 
I wish we had like a few. Can't we do like three shows and film them all? And <laughs> yeah. Can't we do? And then pick I wish the we were a bigger. Show. If we were like a bigger band, we could do like three nights there and then film all three nights <laughs> yeah. and then cherry pick the best versions, but. That's not the case. Look, I think so. it's good to keep you on your toes, and especially since you're going to be starting this uh, support group for drummers, singers. You know, you got yeah. you got your you got people to talk to. You know, you'll you'll have yeah, people gotta, to talk to. <laughs> yeah, I need something. I need a couple of things to complain about. That's why. I need <laughs> yeah, exactly. Support. You feel like you're not the biggest band, but come on, as a mega fan, you have to ask about Game of Thrones because that. Totally, I thought that that was just the most incredible thing, and I'm sure you've been asked about it to death. So I'll like try and keep us on topic, but obviously acting is like such a different kind of performance. Was that ever something you would have expected yourself to get into, or was it just the timing oh, and uh, the project that it, just was so perfect for you? It was hardly acting. But, uh, <laughs> Facial <appreciate>, acting. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, it's a it was very much, it was very much extra work. But uh, oh, but you, there I, was there was a long shot. I mean, you can yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, sure. Was... <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, we were there. Come on, we were, you were you know, part it, of the it, of the entire nar- narrative of that episode. Right. You were no, I, I agree. It was mo- <laughs> me. It was mainly about me. Exactly. My character. Yes. Centered around a guy that walks pretty slow. And, yes. Uh, there you go. Anyways, it, it's, uh, we, it was our guitar player, Brent, uh, met up with uh, Dan Weiss and a bunch of the cast and, and crew of, the, of Game of Thrones. We played a festival in the UK. It was a Sonosphere festival. Mm-hmm. It was like Metallica and Alice in Chains, Motorhead, us, a bunch of bands. A bunch of bands no one's heard of. But, yeah. Uh, I've ne- never heard of what's yeah, m- motor, yeah, yeah. motor, yeah, motor Talica. Motor Talica. <laughs> and so we were just kind of hanging. I guess we took off after, uh, I think after Motorhead got done, and we went back because we were, I think we were leaving and coming back home the next day. So we just wanted to get out of there and get back to the hotel and get like three or four hours sleep before we had to get up and go mm. to the airport and take off for home. But Brett stayed to see Metallica and and just hang with some friends there and. Ended up meeting those guys. They came up and wanted a photo with him, and he recognized the accent, you know, being a uh, an American accent. Said, "Where are you guys from?" He's like, "We're from LA. What are you doing here? Oh, we're filming a TV show. Oh, what TV show? Game of Thrones." He was like, "Get out of here! <laughs> Got to be kidding me! Game of Thrones! Oh my God, it's our favorite show!" Yeah. So, a bunch of photos were taken, and our publicist was there, and. She, she got information, and uh, we kept in contact with Daniel. And he said, "Hey, man, if you guys are you guys are starting a tour in Ireland. We filmed there. We're doing this huge battle scene, and uh, if you guys are interested, you can be extras in it if you want." And we we're like, "Oh my God, yes!" So we flew out early. We went and, you know, basically. I got stabbed in the stomach and had my throat slit about 30 to 40 times by a really nice Hungarian guy. <laughs> See, uh, acting. Told you. To- acting. Totally. Yep, totally <laughs> acting. Uh, you know, we got to see around the digs where they film and sit on the throne and go to all the... It was really amazing. It was really cool and to, to be in makeup and, and then, you know, be wildlings and, and really lay there while in a puddle while uh, 
the King White Walker walked past us and, and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. But it never like broke the fourth wall almost for you as like a fan. It didn't like, it didn't, it didn't take away from the experience. It probably added, it probably added to your fandom, right? Or you're yeah, like, damn, sure. I can see uh, that yeah, that yeah. guy's, you know, that White Walker needs no, to I'm... go have a cigarette. <laughs> You know? Oh, no. I mean, you know, I was sitting in a tent, uh, and it was pretty cold, so we were all kind of sequestered in this tent. There was like three or four of us, and there was two of the of the main White Walkers were sitting in there, and they, uh, one of them was just a little, he was a little ornery because someone gave him a, he wanted hot cocoa, but and someone <laughs> gave him a hot cocoa, but there was no straw, so he was having trouble drinking it because he got all the prosthesis on, you know? So he's yeah. Like, can, I, can I get a straw, please? I'd like to drink my hot cocoa. You know, so he was, so that was funny because he looks so evil. He's a white walker. Yeah. He looks so badass. <laughs> and then he's complaining he doesn't have straw for his hot cocoa. I, I was like, uh, I'm like, I'm holding, I'm holding on to that one. That's, that was pretty good. Uh, yeah. No, my stomach is, is hurting thinking about it. It didn't change anything for me. You know, I can As watch. As a fan. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a. I'm good at that. I can separate those things. I, it, didn't ruin, it didn't ruin it for me. What an experience, so. hey. That's such an incredible thing. I mean, I know we've kind of zipped through your, you know, entire kind of touring history and a lot of different things that you've done in a, in a short while. But I think that the it's so exciting what different things can happen whilst you're on tour. You know, just little things that you can open up to. I always say the thank you. Just big, big thanks to Mastodon. Thank you, Mastodon. Thank you, Mastodon. <laughs> all for all this awesomeness, this charmed life that has been, you know, it's not without much, much uh, psychic payment, but, uh, <laughs> but, but it really, it really has been marvelous and, and wonderful. It's just, there's no words to describe how how incredible you know the opportunities that have been afforded due to the four of us guys coming together and writing and performing some some songs we that we love you know what i mean it just uh has really made it so life has been just really incredible and and i just i just love it This Must Be The Gig is produced by Adam Kibble and we'd like to thank Billy Yost and The Kickback for our theme song, Rube, and buy their music at thekickbackband.com, Lexi Frame for the artwork, Daniel Brater and Dean Berger for the additional sound design, and The Consequence Podcast Network, where you'll find a bunch of other amazing shows. listened this far why not go the extra mile and leave us a review on apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts your comments provide valuable feedback for us and it helps other people find us too for information on new episodes be sure to follow us on facebook twitter or instagram at tmbtgpod and generally just irritate everyone you know about the show thanks again and i miss you already
Consequence Podcast Network.